0: Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come here and lift your name in praises and hear your word. And I just pray, Lord, now that as we close out the book of Acts and and learn what we need to learn from these passages this week, that you would just inspire us and encourage us to be the people that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are in our final week of the book of Acts, week 34. And basically we've been studying Acts for 34 weeks and Paul right now we're going to kind of go through the last two chapters and I know it sounds like a lot but I'm going to give you a lot of summary because the last two chapters are a lot of narrative so to speak. So Paul is in Roman custody. He's actually sailing off to Rome in order for his case to be tried before Caesar. If you remember, um, he appealed to be tried before Caesar. The Jews in Jerusalem wanted to try him, and he was like, I'm not going under those guys because I'm not going to get a good trial. So he wanted his trial to be under in Rome because he was a Roman citizen. So we pick up in uh, Acts 27, verse 1, and it says this and when it was decided that we should sail for italy they delivered paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the augustine court cohort named julius so now what's going to happen here is in acts chapter 27 paul is going to sail 1200 miles to malta so if you can see where malta is on that map you have amazing eyesight So, um, but basically, if you look, it's right there, Um, Malta. It's before they make the right-hand turn and head up to Rome. So that's 1,200 miles. So in chapter 27, it records the journey, and basically they hit some serious storms due to winter weather. Before they left the island of Crete, Paul warned that it would be a dangerous journey, journey, and they should not go right now because, you know, the winter weather was going to be bad. They didn't listen to Paul. Paul was a prisoner. They didn't listen to him. So we pick up with a bunch of hungry, scared people on a ship. They probably were hungry because they didn't eat for many reasons. One is seasickness. If you've ever been seasick, you're not ordering a Big Mac, right? Okay, so maybe seasickness. Maybe they were unable to cook because you know the, the ship was going all over. For whatever reason it was, they weren't really eating at this point, and uh, they were scared because it was winter storms. And I was almost like this past week. If you went over to the beach anywhere and looked at that, you wouldn't want to be on a ship. So in verse 21 through 22, it picks up and says, "'Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, "'Men, you should have listened to me "'and not have set sail for Crete in, and in, from Crete "'and incurred this injury and loss.'" Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Then he goes on to say why he knows this. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And it goes on to say, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. So obviously this is a miraculous event here. Paul stands up, says, I told you guys we shouldn't have went, but here's the caveat. An angel of the Lord spoke to me and told me that everybody is going to be safe. We're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose any life. So we call this special revelation. God is specifically telling Paul something for this specific reason. So now we have to ask our question, this question, what do we make of something like this? And in this case, it's the Apostle Paul, and it's the Scripture. We've been studying through Acts, right? All 28 chapters, we've been studying through Acts, and we see many situations where the Lord appeared, an angel of the Lord appeared, told Paul in specific certain things, but told other people. So then we have to ask, well, what about us? Does God speak to us like this today? And here's my answer. I'm going to say yes and no, okay? The reason why I'm going to say yes is this. God does speak to us when we pray and we seek guidance from his word, okay? When you're praying and you're seeking guidance from God's word, that's God actually speaking to you. God speaks to you through his word. But I'm gonna say no when it comes to, I have a feeling, Especially if I have a feeling when it goes against what God's word has to say. When my feelings are based upon my desires. So when my feelings are based upon my desires of what I want to do or what I want to see happen, I can't attribute that to the Lord told me. I need to pray and I need to go to the scriptures to see how the Lord is guiding and leading me. Now, sometimes people, what I, what I call this spiritual abuse, people will say, God told me, or God wants this. And they speak on behalf of the Lord, but they really don't have business speaking on behalf, uh, on behalf of the Lord. For example, someone is sick with a terminal illness. Now, many of you have probably known people with terminal illnesses, and they lost the battle, and they passed from this earth, right? We've all known people, we've known people that we love, that have died from a terminal illness. So, we pray for them while they have their illness, right? We pray that God will, in his will, heal them. But sometimes people will say, like, oh, I'm gonna come over and I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna lay hands on you and I believe that the Lord is gonna heal you. Or they say something like this. They might even go the next step and say, the Lord told me that you would be healed. And then lo and behold, you know what a terminal illness is, right? They're not healed. They die. And now their friends and family members and people who love them say, well, that person came over and said, the Lord told me that you're going to be healed. So now all of a sudden, whose fault is this? Is it the Lord's? No, it's the person who actually said, it's not their fault that person died. But when when a person says something like that, they're speaking on behalf of the Lord and they have no business speaking on behalf of the Lord. They're trying to make somebody feel more comfortable, but in that, they've actually kind of spiritually confused them. So now we have to ask, let's just take this terminal illness issue or any illness issue. What do we pray as believers? Well, what we pray is, Lord, if it's your will to heal that person, heal that person. Lord, if it's your will, show me what we all need to collectively learn through this situation. okay, When people start going around saying, I can do this, I can heal, I, the Lord told me you're going to be fine. Okay, They have no business speaking on behalf of the Lord in situations that the Lord has not made it abundantly clear to that person. So in Paul's case, here's what happens. The end result in Paul's case here, because the Lord did in fact speak to him, 276 people on the boat survive, okay? The ship runs aground, and we pick up in chapter 28, and it says this, And after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So now they're in Malta they're in Malta, the native people showed unusual kindness. Now think about this for a minute. Now think about this, especially in the context of where we are in 2023 and, you know, politically maybe where we are, what's going on in the world. A boatload of prisoners show up in your sleepy beach town. A boatload of prisoners show up in your sleepy beach town. Let's go down Laurel Boulevard and go all the way to the end and a boatload of prisoners show up. And some of you are like, I live on Laurel. (laughs) Um, What do we do? A boatload of prisoners. Well, guess what? The biblical thing to do here is show kindness. Show kindness. Now, I'm sure most of you here, I think maybe even a hundred percent of you here might even say, I am a kind person. Okay? There's a couple of you out there that'd be like, I'm not, okay? (laughs) You're the honest ones, okay? So let's go with I'm a kind person. All of us, I'm a kind person. So what are some of the reasons why we don't show kindness in life? Okay, if we're going with, I'm a kind person, what are some of the reasons we don't show kindness? Because I think there's a lot of times in our life that we don't show kindness to other people. So I've come up with a few, five exactly, and the first one is, I'm lazy. I don't feel like it, right? Sometimes we don't show kindness because we are lazy. We don't feel like it. Kindness takes action, action takes work, and sometimes we're just lazy. We don't feel like it. Maybe you've been working all day and you don't feel like being kind to people. Whatever it is, we're lazy. We don't feel like it. Maybe we're not kind to other people because we may not think they deserve our kindness. Boatload of prisoners, wash up on shore. You know who I think maybe doesn't deserve me to be kind to them? Prisoners okay, people that have done wrong things, okay, Paul was innocent, and obviously he was unjustly tried, but let's just say this boatload of prisoners, people have done nasty, bad things to other people, why should I be kind to them? Why should you be kind to them? So we might think, they don't deserve my kindness. Third thing is, we might not have the time, you know, I'm a busy person, I don't have the time to be kind to other people. Because kindness takes my time and time is sacrifice for me because now I'm using my time to do something for someone else to be kind to them. And that's taking time from what I should be doing, which brings us to the fourth thing is sometimes we're selfish, right? We have to take care of our own. We have to do our own thing. We have to make sure all our needs and the people around us needs are met, which is true, right? But sometimes we're so selfish with that. We say, well, you know what? I don't want to let go of this or I don't want to give up that or I don't want to be kind because it takes my time or my resources and I need to keep those time, the time and resources for myself because what if I'm in that situation? I'm going to need that stuff. Or maybe, if we're brutally honest, we might just not like them. Right? I don't like them. Okay? I'm not going to be kind to somebody I don't like. Okay? They're mean, they're nasty, and I don't like them, so I'm not going to be kind to them. Now, if we say, I'm a kind person, these might be some excuses of why we're not kind all the time, right? Why we're not kind people. But do you know what? Unusual kindness, or in other words, I'm going to call this biblical kindness. Now, we don't know anything about these natives here in Malta, it doesn't really talk about like their spiritual practices or anything like that. This is all we know about them. They showed us unusual kindness. That's all we know. But I'm going to say it's biblical kindness. And biblical kindness extinguishes all these reasons that you and I come up with not to be kind to other people. Because Jesus said in Matthew 25:35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And the people say, what? When were you this, Jesus? And Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, it's like you're doing it unto me. What we have to remember about people, the human race, okay, is we're all creations of God. We don't become children of God. We're not adopted into his family until we trust in Jesus. Okay? We're not all children of God until we trust in Jesus. But we're all creations of God. And we're all image bearers of God. And God desires you and I to be kind to our fellow man, no matter where they're from, no matter who they are, and dare I say, no matter what they've done, this boatload of prisoners, an undeserving brood of people, should we be kind to them? Well, we need to see others in the light of how Jesus would treat them or how we would treat Jesus if he showed up at our door. So now they gathered around warming up near fires, and here's what happens it's a crazy turn of events. A snake crawls out and bites Paul on the arm. Okay? Yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. Okay? <laughs> It says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So now these people are freaking out, okay? This snake comes out, bites Paul on the arm, and they're like, I don't know what these natives believed, but they obviously had some kind of belief in divine justice. So they're thinking to themselves, well, he wasn't killed in the shipwreck, but there's some divine justice because now this guy is going to die by a snake bite. Paul must be being punished for the things that he has done. But then all of a sudden, their opinion swings totally the other way when this happens. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay? He went from a murderer to being god in just a few brief moments, right? So at this point, Paul has some street cred now okay? People are going to listen to him. I mean, you see a guy throwing a snake off his arm and not, not being dead from the poison, not, not swelling up or dropping dead from the poison. All of a sudden, now people are looking at Paul. Well, Paul uses this opportunity now to repay the people of Malta for their kindness, and here's what happens. Says now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to a chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So something I want to note here. This is another, this like special revelation, miraculous occurrence. Something I want to note is Paul is healing people. He's healing people. And we saw that throughout the book of Acts, didn't we? We saw the apostles healing people. And we answered that question, can we just go around, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, and we're, this is an apostolic gift. Well, interestingly enough, prior to his healing, what happened? He got bit by a poisonous snake, and he didn't die, okay? He didn't swell up and die. Well, Paul, remember, he's an apostle. And when Jesus commissioned the 11, some of you might remember this, when Jesus commissioned the 11 in Mark 16, he said that when you preach, there'll be miraculous signs accompanying your preaching. You'll be able to handle snakes and poison won't kill you, okay? Now, if you study Christianity historically, like after the Bible was done, okay, there was a couple of people in the history of the Christian church that said, we can handle snakes. Didn't go well for them, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But what, what did this do here? This validated the apostleship of Paul. Remember, Paul said he was one untimely born. He was, he was an apostle in a different way. He was called by Jesus because Jesus appeared to him. So now here's what happens. They sail from Malta to Rome, the extra 400 miles. So 1,600 miles in total. Paul ends up in Rome. Paul arrives in Rome, requests to meet with the Jewish leaders in the area He states what he's been through. You guys all know what he's been through. The Jewish people accused him. They wanted to kill him, all that. He states what he's been through. The Jews in Jerusalem actually respond, we haven't heard about any of these charges. The charges didn't make their way up there yet. So they said, we haven't heard anything negative about you, Paul. But we did hear about this new movement. These followers of the way, These Christians, we heard about that. So here's what happens. They say, But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So here, Paul has this amazing opportunity. All these people are like, well, we heard about this. People are speaking against it. We want to hear about this. So they went to Paul. They went to Paul. Paul didn't have to go to them. They went to Paul. And he daily was testifying about Jesus. He was telling them from the law of Moses and from the prophets, the scriptures that they knew. He was pointing out, I can only imagine it might have went something like this. Jesus is the Savior. We are all sinners and need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died to pay the price, to be that once and for all sacrifice for you and I. He died for us so that we may live when we trust in him when we believe that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus rose from the grave. He was the first to be resurrected. And you will be resurrected to eternal life if you believe that. I can only imagine that those are some of the things that Paul said as he daily testified about who Christ is. So then in verse 24 in chapter 8, as expected, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Just like us, when we tell others today, right? Some are convinced, but some don't. Some don't. Some don't believe. Some don't believe. How could you not believe the best news that you've ever heard in your life? It it boggles my mind, right? I mean, logically, Now that I'm a believer and I have the Holy Spirit and I understand what the scriptures teach about Jesus and what he's done for me, now that moves kind of like to my head and logically I'm like, this is amazing. Doesn't everybody want to hear about this? Don't they want to know? And when I tell them, why don't they believe? So here's what happens. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So now, here's what Paul does. He, he makes a statement using the scriptures that they studied against them, which actually caused many of them to get up and leave. I don't need to hear this anymore. I don't need to hear what you have to say anymore. So Paul uses this prophetic scripture in Isaiah. It says, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. You know, we wonder. I mean, I wonder, you wonder. Why in the world won't people believe the best news? Well, Paul didn't wonder. He went back to the scriptures. There's going to be people that we preach to that their eyes are blinded, their ears are stuffed up, their hearts are hard against what the Lord has to say. What do we do? We pray for those people, right? We pray that God will open their eyes, their ears, their hearts. We don't stop, right? We continue on like Paul. Paul continued on, and he's like, okay, those guys leaving. Here's why they're leaving. The Holy Spirit said, and you know what? That pricked them a little bit more. That made them think a little bit more, think so much that they were willing to say, you know what, I don't want to hear this anymore. Something about that. You know when you talk, sometimes, sometimes you talk to people and it's like, they don't want to believe or they don't believe, but you know something's going on. What you believe actually bothers them a little. Bothers them. That there's a God that loves them. That there's a God that died for them. Bothers them. It makes them uneasy. So he told them, you know what? All along, remember Paul now, he went to Rome. His charges against him were what? That he was preaching to the Gentiles. He was a Jew from God's chosen race, God's chosen people. And Paul was out preaching to dogs, Gentiles, like us, right? Like us. Paul was bringing that message. He told them all along, this is why I've gone, because the Lord has sent me to the Gentiles. So it goes on and says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, this isn't a statement saying every Gentile is going to listen and believe in Jesus. Of course, we know that's not true. But he's saying, now this way of salvation is given to the Gentiles. Before this, people thought that a person who was not Jewish could never be accepted by God. But Paul's saying, this shows that God accepts those who trust him. So now... We go into the last few verses of chapter 28. It says he lived there, talking about Paul, for two whole years at his own expense. Paul was on house arrest, so he had to pay his own bills and stuff, but he wasn't really allowed to leave. So it says this, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So This is how the book of Acts ends. Remember last week I said, in the dramatic conclusion of the book of Acts. Remember when I said that? Okay. It's kind of a dumb thing to say. Um, here's the thing. There's really no dramatic conclusion. Okay? This is how it ends. This is how it ends. So it's, it's thought, it, 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 this, his accusers, the Jewish elders, never came up from Jerusalem to accuse him. Remember that angry mob? Paul was 1,600 miles away. They couldn't really know what Paul was doing. They might have got some word here or there. Out of sight, out of mind. So then we have to ask this question. What happened to Paul after his release? After two years, he was released. Well, there are some hints in the epistles, but they're very vague. But it's possible that Paul went on a fourth missionary journey to Spain before his second and final imprisonment in Rome. It's believed that Paul's second arrest brought this fourth missionary journey to an end. He was sent to a maritime prison, which was much rougher than being on house arrest. During his second imprisonment, Paul knew his time of, you know, departure from this earth was near, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 6. He also said that he was cared for by Luke in 2 Timothy 4. Um, He also said that many others abandoned him in 2 Timothy 1. So Paul was kind of in a maritime, lonely prison, okay? And as tradition holds... Nero, Claudius, Caesar, remember, he would eventually go before Caesar, who was on a rampage against Christians, beheaded Paul. That's what the tradition says. But now you have to ask this question. Why is this not recorded in the Holy Scriptures? Why is Paul's death not recorded? Okay, we're going by tradition here. Church tradition, other writings. Why is Paul's death not recorded? I mean, Paul was pretty important, wasn't he? I mean, we spent the whole book of Acts, I mean, from chapter 9 on, really seeing his life. And I'm going to take a stab in the dark here on why I think that the scriptures don't record the death of Paul. And I think it's a simple answer, and I'm taking a stab in the dark. It could be 100% wrong. I don't think I am. But here's the thing. I think the reason why Paul's death is not recorded is because the Christian life is not about Paul's death. It's about Jesus' death. It's about Jesus' death and resurrection. The Christian life's not about following the apostle Paul. The Christian life is about following Jesus, the crucified one, the one who died for you and I, the one who saved us. That's what Paul dedicated his entire life to. He said, hey, look, everybody, it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who died for you. My life and your life is not about our own lives. It should be about Jesus. That's what Paul's life was about. His life was about Jesus. Our lives should be about Jesus. Today, we observe communion. And that's all about Jesus. What he's done for us. The fact that he shed his blood on my behalf, on your behalf, for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, when we take communion, we're remembering what Jesus did. If you're not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, you need to do some soul searching. You need to do some soul searching. Don't take communion because it's just a cracker and juice. Do some soul searching. For those of you who are a believer, the communion elements represent what Jesus has done. It's a reminder It's a spiritual reminder of what Jesus has done on our behalf. He gave up his body. His blood was shed on our behalf for our sins. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Another thing we do during communion is we evaluate our own lives, right? Where am I going wrong? Because as believers, we can believe in Christ, right? And be saved and go to heaven when we pass from this earth. But we can fall into the traps of sin while we're here on this earth. Maybe it's something like the kindness issue. Maybe you've lacked showing kindness to other people. And maybe you would say, yeah, if a boatload of prisoners washed up on our shore, I would be kind to them. But for some reason, you can't be kind to the people that live in your house. Right? So that's something you've got to give to the Lord because he wants you to be kind to them. In fact, he wants you to be kind to everybody. No matter what sin you are struggling with, Communion is a time for you to say, hey, you know what, Lord? I need some victory here. I'm trying to do this on my own. It doesn't work. I need you to help me. I'm asking for victory in this area. So I'm going to give you a few moments just to you know, quiet your heart, some moments of silence, and then we'll partake together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, This is my body, broke it for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He says, This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our study in the book of Acts. I'm thankful, Lord, that we could systematically go through your word and find out exactly what it says in plain English but also what it says to us each day of our lives, and how we can learn and be guided from what your word has to say. We're thankful for the life of the Apostle Paul and how his life was a life that pointed to you. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be lives that point to you. That it wouldn't be about us, it would be about you. That our lives would be a living sacrifice So that other people would see the beauty of your sacrifice. How you laid down your life on our behalf for our sins. So thankful for that. So I pray, Lord, as we leave here today, I pray that we live a life that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise.